Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today, we are talking about managing performance anxiety. Mm, and this is one that you wanted to uh, chat about with your idea, I dare say, uh, Danny. So tell us a little bit about why this has come up for you. I think this is an important topic to talk about because I've noticed that people are quite shocked if they hear that I still get nervous for things or, you know, um, they might say, oh, how are you feeling for your seminar on the weekend? And I go, really excited, but, you know, the butterflies start coming up. or mm-hmm. and And their first reaction is almost relief because they know that they're not alone when they're getting nervous for things. But then also a little bit of shock because perhaps I don't look nervous when I'm doing the thing, which it's all learning experiences, right? I mean, I'm so excited to share this episode because I've been in places where I'd be nervous and visibly nervous. So then it can take over your whole body and your mind and really impact your performance or the task that you're about to do. Um So there are little tips and tricks that you can use in order to harness the anxiety, but then without covering it up, you need to almost stare it right in the face and go, I see you, I feel you, but I'm going to tame you. And it's, yeah, it's just something really cool. So this episode is really just to normalize the feelings that come up and then share some tips on how to harness that beast. Yeah. And that's the main thing. Like we really do want to, you know, normalize it, name it to tame it, same thing and go through, I guess, what performance anxiety is and, you know, give you guys some examples of like when uh, we've experienced it and, you know, still currently, as you mentioned, Danny, mm. I shit myself all the time, <laughs> not literally, um, but <laughs> before I get into um, difficult conversations. <laughs> sorry yes, sorry. No, I'm just... um, difficult conversations. We've obviously both competed in the past. Like I don't know any anything more nerve-wracking yeah. than getting on a stage in a bikini and saying, judge me. Um, there's so many examples where we've both experienced performance anxiety, but it's not a matter of experiencing it. It's like whether it controls you or not. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we'll probably end up talking about is how to experience it, but not let it show. Um, yes. And something I'm so big on, and I know a lot of people don't like love this sort of feedback or this advice, but I'm such a big fan of just faking it till you make it. I know I've said that people are like, oh, mm. don't fake it till you make it. You got to be it to be her, whatever the thing <laughs> is. The but I'm like, you know, no, it's normal to feel anxious or overwhelmed yeah. or tired or fatigued. It's normal to feel things. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of like whether you show it. And I'm just a big fan of being able to put on a brave face so that you can prove to yourself that you can do challenging things and you can do big and scary things because then those big things, they become a little bit smaller um, over time. And that's a really good example of, I guess, progressive overload for your comfort zone. Right? We can. That. We can stretch it in certain ways, um, mm. but if you always shy away from things that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, you're never going to grow. 100%. So by definition, essentially, the the definition of performance anxiety is the fear of not performing well. And you would notice this in high state situations. So when the event is really important to you, that's when you feel nervous. You don't mm. feel nervous about things that you you don't care about, right? So one way to really recognize that is, hey, I'm getting these feelings coming up. It must be important to me. It's actually a good thing, right? 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It is a good thing. It means you care. Mm. Um, and I think something that I like to ask people is like, if they do feel quite overwhelmed or anxious, I'm like, are you anxious or are you excited? And it's a really important um, distinguish to be able to make because in the body, like physically, we can experience uh, anxiety and excitement in similar ways um, physiologically. And when we can flip the script and reframe it in different ways, you're like, oh, I'm just really excited to compete. I'm really excited to do this presentation. I'm really excited to go and um, public speak or whatever it might be. I'm just actually excited. Um, and that is a bit of a, I guess, check of fake it till you make it. Because if you're like, oh, you can trick yourself along <laughs> the way and it can actually mean that you can perform in a way that you really want to as well. Yeah, and that's such a great um, thing to bring up because excitement. So you remember, you know, when you're really excited for something, you mm. still get the similar symptom or you know experience to being nervous so we we go into that fight or flight path or even a freeze you know where your heart rate increases you might get a bit sweaty you might talk really really fast or shallow breathing um you might not be able to concentrate or think properly so mm. all of the same symptoms as if you were running away from a lion you know back in the day that flight path and that fight path they mm. do show up in this scenario but excitement as well we, we get a bit erratic when we're excited we're forward thinking but what are we excited for something great's happening so the label that you have in your mind can determine the language around the event. So let's just say I'm excited for Christmas tomorrow. I don't know. I'm planning that already. So you 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 get those feelings and you go, no, it's a good thing. It's Christmas mm. tomorrow. You know, spend time with family, get presents and all of that. Whereas if you if you get caught in the language of, oh, I've got a big event tomorrow and I'm going to stuff it up and it means a lot and then people are going to talk about me. That language labels the feelings in your body. So it's really important to catch out that language. Mm. And even when you are, I guess, maybe you're feeling this way and you've opened yourself up to being judged or, you know, exposed in a particular way, usually that's what it is, like performance anxiety. You're putting yourself up on a pedestal to do something, whether it's from a place of um, authority, uh, you're opening yourself up to vulnerability. And it's no surprise like innately that we try and pull back from being vulnerable like vulnerable was dangerous um in our body in our nervous system if we were putting ourselves out there to be exposed physically or mentally it meant that you know life or death um in certain situations but of course in reality like 9.9 times out of 10 that's not the truth we're not in our physical danger but our, our previous experiences really do shape a lot of what we go through now. And, you know, public speaking, if it's the single biggest worry for most people, it's probably because we all had to do oral presentations in year nine on yep. something we absolutely hated, right? We're all yep. scarred from that. Um, we've never probably, or I, or I hadn't until I went into business, been um, doing like speaking publicly on things that I pa was passionate about, things that I actually knew about that I was like excited to be here. I was like, I don't know Macbeth and I have to talk <laughs> for 10 minutes. How petrifying. <laughs> I even feel that yeah. residue come up in me at the moment. So in the past, you know, we might have had um, – you know, big experiences um, or big tasks or big performances to do that we didn't feel 100% competent or confident in. Uh, and we're not always going to feel that way. But when it doesn't end in a positive way, it can leave like, yeah, this residue where in the future when we go to do the same activity or the same task again, we can perceive it in a negative way. So it's really important to challenge um, those fear-based beliefs about, okay, what's fact, what's feeling, am I excited, um, do I actually want to be doing this, you know? 
as well. Like sometimes maybe we should oh, yeah. thing. Like you don't have to do a lot of the stuff. It's always choice. So as you mentioned, like the way we label it is just so important for the way that we experience it. Yeah, and public speaking is the number one fear that there is. And I really think, as you mentioned, it's because of the situations in which we first experience public thinking. Like you said, um, it's all survival, right? We don't want to be ostracized from the group. So to be put on a platform from a young age to talk about something that you're not really prepared about and passionate about, kids mm probably laughing at you, you might stumble your words, you're getting marked by the teacher, you might go red. I used to go red all the time and not know how to control that. Um, it it leads to your nervous system saying, mm. this is a very dangerous situation, you know. So then drama class, another, another um, example of being put in a public forum where you can just, you know, it could all go south. So we've been imprinted with these experiences. Now, I hope not everyone had an experience like that, but it seems to be the most common story, mm. right? We get imprinted with these scenarios that are deemed dangerous by our nervous system. And then people just label themselves forever saying, I hate public speaking. I'm never going to try it again. Mm. And that's okay for some, but it can, you know, we need to be, if we're a leader, if we're a coach, we need to be comfortable with talking. So it's about recognizing, hey, that happened in the past. This time is different. So we're not talking about Macbeth anymore, just on this podcast lightly, but we're not giving a presentation on that. You can label the differences mm. and then practice as well. So you just have to put yourself out there and go, okay, this time will be different. I'm not talking about something I'm not passionate about. I'm not at school anymore. I am here being a coach, helping people on mm. something I'm passionate about. So it's really, really about tuning in and changing that language. It was one of the most important things that I could do mm. because by default, your brain goes, hey, don't do that again. That was really dangerous. You're going to be in trouble. So mm. to break that survival pathway, it takes an immense amount of practice and being present, but mm. really slow down and feel what comes up. Yep. Then you can challenge that language. And that's, you know, the start of hard work to try and overcome that. Yeah, really good. As you're saying that, I was just thinking like <laughs> when I would read Macbeth, I'd read a page and get to the end and be like, I have no idea what, what I just read. You know, <laughs> be like, the who the, I'm like, what? Right? So it's no surprise that we actually have critical thoughts come up. And I also think with a lot of performance-based um, anxiety or anything like that, it's not what you're feeling that's the biggest concern. It's what you're thinking or the thoughts that come from it. You know, we all know a lot of Joe Dispenser's work, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we're thinking becomes our feelings, our emotions, and then our habits, our behaviors, and it's who we are. So it always starts from that thinking piece as well, because we can feel something in the body and then we label it to experience it in a certain way. So as you said, if we feel anxious, um, if we can't relabel that as just a normal physiological emotion that comes before excitement uh, and allows us to move closer or further away from the task that we're trying to do, uh, if we can't label it like that, we can have lots of critical thoughts and limiting beliefs show up. And then that influences our confidence directly. And that's why I was saying fake it till you make it. It's sort of like, well, I haven't done this before, but you know, here we are. I'm going to give the best go. I used to do that all the time in nursing. Sorry, guys, um, for anyone that was in oh. healthcare with me. But you've got to, right? Because yeah. you're thrown in situations and a lot of high-risk situations, they're high-risk because you don't get to practice them a lot of the time. So yeah. that's just the reality of it. You've got to be able to back yourself enough to know that you'll do your best um, and that's all you can actually do. 
Mm, yeah. Um, so critical thoughts and limiting beliefs, that's what we mentioned. So they will show up. Remember, mm. it's survival. It's not necessarily true. It is your body's imprint on what happened in the past trying to prevent a similar situation. So you almost have to have a conversation with yourself to try and change those. Um, yep. The yeah. other thing I was going to say is obviously, Danny, we've had a lot of experience like with a lot of different things where we've had to sort of, you know, come into ourselves and step up and just do the task. But something that I think a lot of people might be able to relate to just for the time being is doing a lot of stuff live. Um, I know you definitely do as well, like seminars and speaking to people. But um, even from my own experiences, like I do a lot of webinars, a lot of live um, coaching calls, a lot of sales calls, a lot of marketing stuff, a lot of social stuff, uh, a lot of live things like in the present moment, because it's really easy just to hide behind a screen and record and edit and change things. But yeah. when you're doing stuff live or in person where there's no buffer, someone asks you a question, you're, you're on the spot to sort of answer it. Um, that's where people can become quite stretched. And we're in this new age where we've been behind the screens and a lot of people now are probably experiencing more social anxiety than ever as well. Uh, it doesn't have to be just performance. Like I know for even for a lot of clients, you know, getting back into the gym for the first time after COVID and just being around a lot of people, that is performance anxiety at the end of the day so it's it can uh, occur on a sliding scale depending on where you are like in terms of your comfort zone at the moment so yeah. I think like gradual exposure to these sorts of things is going to happen but I just wanted to name that it's going to look different along a scale and it's really about that buffer not being there anymore it's like you feel like there's no room for error if someone asks me this I must know the answer yeah. uh, if this happens I've got to respond instantly so it's almost this like confidence and self-belief in yourself that you're going to be able to respond in a way that's appropriate too. I love that. And that confidence does come from that gradual exposure, right? Like after mm. lockdown, I remember getting on my first aeroplane and that started to give me anxiety because yeah. I, what I would hear come up was, you, you know, A, it's been a long time. You're enclosed in a small area that you can't get out of. You're mm. really close to a lot of people. Any fast movements and people, you know, just being humans would trigger me a little bit. So it was quite interesting to be in that scenario going from someone who traveled all the time who knew that I'll be continuing to travel had to really go through that and you know recognize hey this is an experience I haven't done in a while it's just survival it's okay like and you really have to reassure yourself and give you that pep talk but it was happening for the first few months to be honest mm. um so yeah that gradual exposure piece now I'm totally fine you know and and we will get into some of the strategies after but I'd love perhaps if we can just share some of our scenarios in which we have experienced this just to really normalize that it does still happen yeah, I think um, like there was lots of things like throughout my early career, like nursing and midwifery, where you sort of have to be independent, do a lot of things on your own. And that was probably a very subtle way. But I think competing for me was probably the biggest initial one that was like, cool, this is well out of everyone's comfort <laughs> zone. Like this is no one's like... Wait, like unless you're, you know, a seasoned competitor, um, like getting on stage for the first time and putting yourself out there like that. Um, for something that we cared about, like we worked really hard to do that. That was probably one the first thing. And something that I'm incredibly grateful that I did as well, because I think mm -hmm. I built a lot of confidence, um, because you have to just back yourself, right? Like one of the things that 
every person that goes pro has is just this like relentless self-belief that they're the best. Yeah. Um, even if they're not, right. Even if you're not, and we see it all the time, right, Danny, like people that um, don't have the best physique on stage can still win if they've just got that aura, that confidence, like I've done everything. Um, and I deserve to be up here and I'm a pro, like being a pro is a mindset, not usually a physical thing. So mm. I think competing was really good for me um, to build a lot of confidence, like early in the fitness space, I guess. Um, and just back myself, not so much from an authority position, because that's never the way that I'm um that I've come into the industry, but more so just from like a work ethic and just like being my best. And I think when you're only just trying to be your best, um, like no one can come at you for that. You're just trying to be your best. And as long as you acknowledge that, that's the most important piece. Cause a lot of people they don't even acknowledge that. They go, yeah. oh. They compare straight away, mm. compare and contrast, and then all of a sudden your best doesn't even matter. You don't even know what your best is. Um, so if you feel like your best is never good enough because you're constantly looking at everyone else's best, like you never have confidence shining from the inside out. So competing was really good for me to initially build that, uh, and that's probably where it started for me. What about yep. for you? Where did it start for you, do you feel? Yeah, well, I did, sorry, just want to handball back and ask, what did you experience in your first shows, and then how did you harness that? when it came to turning pro, did you get the physical symptoms? Did you compare? Like what was mm. that experience? Yeah. So with my first show, I was, oh, and I don't know, like my first, first, first show, I, I sort of classified WBFF as my first show, but I don't did do all, right? quite a few shows before mm. that with other federations. The really good thing about my first couple of seasons competing uh, with different federations is I did it all on my own. And even though now I'm like, oh, in hindsight, I could have gotten places a lot quicker if I had help. Um, I think I did build a lot of confidence um, and a lot of, I guess, just belief in myself because I had to. I had to back my own self, <laughs> otherwise yeah. I wouldn't have made it. Um, so I built a lot through um, doing it on my own in those initial things. And the really good thing is when I first started, I didn't really have social media, to be honest. Like I wasn't really that active, had no comparison. I was literally <laughs> just doing it for the love of training um, and just the love of self-improvement. So my first few shows were quite um like profound in terms of confidence for me to take it to that next step being the the WBFF but moving yeah. on from that I felt like the WBFF that first show was my first proper like go I, I got a coach and I was like right this is serious now I'm gonna coach um and that was a really good show for me because I actually came second um in my in my first show and I was pumped, right? I was like, oh, I got second. I just wanted to call out. It was like 60 girls. This is before we they were had... in the same category. That yeah, time. this yeah, is before massive. they had like five different cat shorts. Like, yeah, it was just <laughs> short and tall. So there was like there was like 70 girls in our lineup. Massive. I can't even remember. It was massive. Mm. Um, but the, the the really interesting thing for me is when I got second, I was pumped, and yep. so many people after the show were like, "You should have won," and you know, they, they I had all these other people's thoughts in my head. And it almost robbed me of the feeling of feeling proud that I'd gotten second place. But wow. in hindsight, like I was like, man, I learned a lot from that second place because I was like, good enough because I think winning early in anything, not necessarily first place, but just winning, being successful at something, feeling like you're accomplishing is so important for momentum. Um, and I attribute a lot of my early success to the willingness and want to continue on to become pro, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that was important for me just to light the fire to almost actually see my potential um, because a lot of people can't see it as well. They're like, 
okay, I can see it now. I can see what I should be working towards and that can light that fire too. So first experience of my first proper show, um, I felt like I got a, a good taste that that propelled me forward, but then I built so much grit, so much resilience yeah. from doing it. And it was definitely the hardest prep that I'd ever done um, mentally and physically. So yeah, it paid off for me. Sure did. Yeah, I I will never forget being backstage with you, but it's almost when you start competing, you're a little bit naive because I'd never been to a a proper show before I did my first, um, it was called IMBA at the time, Mm. IMBA show, right? So I did two of those and the stakes weren't as high in my mind. So yes, you get nervous, your legs shake, my bottom lips would shake when I was nervous. Um, Like you're trying to smile really hard and your bottom lips just going Uh, but then, yeah, it was that first WBFF show that in my own head I built it up to be the biggest deal in the whole mm. world that my nerves got the better of me that day. Yep. It was very shit at the time but really good to learn from as, you know, the hard lessons are the best lessons. But backstage, you know, we were together and you were zenning out and zoning out and I was carrying on like a pork chop. My, I've got a big, strong it's called like, like a humor part. So when I'm nervous, I make jokes. Like, and that's been like, I still make jokes when I'm not nervous, but that's my almost cover up of being nervous. Like, I, I dance around the feeling and just try and be the entertainer and entertain everyone. It's, it's really interesting. And I love that part, but I didn't know that that's what I did back then. Mm. So here I am backstage you know, not really concentrating on what I was about to do. Me thinking I was totally fine, but in the week leading up to that, I'd booked way too many photo shoots. I went on a big holiday. I had all my friends staying in my hotel room. Like I, my nervous system was so active that I didn't even have any time to tap into my mind to feel the nerves. Mm-hmm. So it's as if the only moment that I was truly present was on stage And when I was truly present, my body goes, holy fuck, you're actually so nervous. And that was the first time that I felt the built up nerves of the whole prep. And, you know, my posing was wobbly. Like I forgot my moves, like everything that could happen, happened. Mm. And I was so upset. Like I remember doing a photo shoot the next day and I just, all the limiting beliefs came up. Oh, you could have done so much better. You're not sexy today at this shoot. Like why are you even here? Like everything came up and that was, even though I look back on the shoot photos and I'm like, fuck, like they're really nice shots, but my mind was toxic. It was really full on to the point where I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get on stage again. Mm. It was, so then I had to do the inner work. So that was in May. There was another show in July. And then I just kept dieting down for that one. And the mindset transformation was the biggest. I had to really practice posing every day, practice being nervous. So I started posing in front of other people, not just the mirror, um, and then learn how to sit in those nerves and, and, and then address the labels as well. Like mm. that was last time. This time will be different. I had to keep saying this time will be different because my my survival brain said, oh, it's going to be the same again. Don't do it. And then it was the biggest battle ever. So I'm, it was really bad at the time, but I'm so glad it happened. And I know we, we all go through stuff like that, but the mindset transformation. So the next time around, cleared my schedule. I wasn't busy at all. I just focused on what I had to do, my eating, training, posing, 
and that's mm-hmm. it. Gave plenty of time for the flight um, to go to Sydney. I wasn't leaving there at the time. And backstage, um, I was a mouse. No distractions. Music in, deep breathing, visualising. I walked out on the stage first um, when you were allowed to practice before the audience mm-hmm. came. So I did that, really felt what it was going to feel like, and then it was a much better experience that second time. Um, came second but and then ended up turning pro after. But it, that that mindset transformation, minimising and getting out of that fight or flight, yeah. harnessing it, that is how you overcome it. Um, yeah. yeah, it was really an incredible experience. That's epic. I love I love <laughs> just you. listening to that. It's so good. I think um a lot of people would definitely be able to relate to that. And mine was almost in reverse as well. And I'll share a little <laughs> bit about that. But I remember when I when I went pro, I was backstage and I was like, I'm this is mine. Like I was like, I'm winning <laughs> like today. Not that I was looking at anyone else or anything, but I just, like I said, you know before you know. Yeah. Right? And I think this is probably one of the biggest benefits um, for me when I had a coach and I had like a sort of someone in my ear being like, you've got this, you know, because initially when I first started competing, like I said, when I did it on my own, you you are your worst critic. Um, yeah. You're like, could be better, you know, and that's a good thing, right? It's what it's what pushes you to propel. Um, and I'm so glad I did that being like, not good enough, Cheryl, you know, like second, not good enough. And that's a good characteristic to have. Um, but not when it stops you from taking more action and, and practicing self-compassion. So you can, you know, have the confidence that's actually going to get you to the next level. Cause usually, like I said, it's not even a physical thing, right? It's a mental yeah. thing, which is what you demonstrated just there. So being able to have someone be like a bit of a hype girl to sort of like twist your ear and go get out of your own head, um, like shut up, you've got this and be able to do it like invaluable, right? Invaluable. And that's the piece that I'm like, that would have helped a little bit earlier, Um, but grateful for the way that everything does turn out. But as you were saying, like, even when you were backstage, when you did go pro, you're like, yeah, like, you know, game on. Mm. And that's the way that um, like I definitely took it. And I just remember being like, this is mine. And I just went out there to get it just to get what was mine. And I remember when you're lining up, like how petrifying is this, right? They call top (laughs) top 10 out right and then you're like standing there and then they call top five out and you're standing there and I'm like reliving the nerves because I'm yeah, like right. you remember your number and you just try not to remember it and then they call third out and you're like Poof, okay and then they call second out and you're like yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what um, you know. the best feeling but then I had like I said a bit of a different experience that when I had won my pro card I felt like I was back to square one and this is probably a common feeling that um, I think a lot of pros would be able to resonate with is like doing your first show in, in a pro lineup is like going from year seven uh, or sorry, year six to year seven yeah. in Australia. That's like primary school to the bottom of the ranks in high school. And I definitely felt that um, in my first, um, I think I've done three pro shows or two pro shows, three, nice. three. Um, and yeah, like I had that experience for a lot of them to be honest, because you're no longer the best of the amateurs. You're not. You're the worst of the best. Usually so the stakes are higher, work. right? The stakes are higher, is. absolutely. Um, I At this stage, I um, sort of built a following as well, so I had a big oh, audience yeah. watching me. Um, my parents would always fly internationally with me when I would do um, shows. So, you know, 
10, 10 to 15 grand to do a pro show in the US. It ain't cheap. Mm. I had sponsorships at the time as well. So that was another pressure. Like the layers just get more mm. and more. But this is the biggest thing to realize is that the, the higher you climb, the higher the stakes. And that's just part of it. So it's why you can't just do the physical work and expect to get there. The mental work has to match the physical. And we yep. were talking about this earlier, Danny, like winning your um your first bodybuilding show and becoming pro, it can be a blessing and a curse at the same time because that mental piece that you did between, you know, um, uh, getting second and first would like has bled into er every other area of your life. But without that, you're robbed of the growth that you should be getting from prep. And I say this to everyone, even my own girls that go through preps is like, you, we better be getting more than the physical stuff because it's not worth it for a plastic trophy. We need to be making sure you're growing in other ways, whether it's personally or professionally, I don't care. Um, But you have to be able to end the prep and go, man, like, I really enjoyed that. You know, I really enjoyed that. We can't just get the destination piece um, underway. We need to sell the trip there rather than the final destination. And the trip there should be the most exciting piece. Oh, yeah. And and you said it so well in a sense that what we learned from that experience bleeds into the other areas. So how I learned how to not have too much on my plate or how to do mm-hmm. my deep breathing and concentrating before I'm about to be on, I use that now for my seminars because, of course, I get butterflies. Like, yeah. it's so exciting, right? But, again, it's face-to-face. It's not Zoom, like everyone's watching and I'm teaching people things. You get the butterflies. It is excitement. It is nerves. There are high stakes. It means a lot to me. It's very important. But I use the exact same tools it's easy to say I'm not going to do it it's too scary throw in the towel but I think you and I still feel those feelings because we're continuously doing things Mm -hmm. that challenge us and that has what led us has led us to be here like we don't just get good at something and then keep doing that same thing we're always like right what's next, you know, um, what business can I open or what what presentation can I make or, you know, the calls or you going on podcasts and vice versa, we get guests on. We're continuously putting ourselves in high-stakes situations mm-hmm. um, that bring on those feelings. So it's never-ending, to be honest, and I'm. it's nice to not feel the feelings, but then that's your indicator that, you're super confident in it. You're really good at it. But mm. then it's like, that's boring. You mm. want, in a sick way, you just want that feeling of being challenged because once you do it, you're on such a high. Like it is the best feeling in the world to say, hey, I did that thing that I was so scared of. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, it's the anticipation that can do your head in and not the actual event. Like, Um, when I hadn't presented in a while because of COVID, I was so nervous before the first one just because of the anticipation in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then you're up there and it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is actually so fine. So it's important to recognise that too. Often the anticipation of the event is more nerve-wracking than the actual thing. A hundred percent. Absolutely. We always catastrophize things uh, in our brain. And then when we do, we go, oh, not so bad, right? It's just that it's just, of course, it's our brain trying to tap our, ourselves out. And yeah. that's why the mental work is is just so, so important. But I think um, stretching yourself is, like I said, it, it's a good thing. It's it's how we grow. And we should be honestly stretching ourselves every day. Every day we should be doing something um, slightly uncomfortable, whether it's talking to a new person, going out of your way to say hi, something inside your own work or business, um, putting your hand up 
up to take on a new task. And yeah, I think you, if you get through a lot of your life not having done it and, you know, you're at this stage now in 20s and 30s, 40s, 50s, and you haven't, it's really difficult to start doing it again. Mm. Um, And I even look back a lot of experiences, like even throughout um, school, growing up, like in the country and then moving away when I was 17 and being quite independent from a young age, you just, I just sort of learned early. You know, like you got it, like you got to do it. You, there's no choice. You know, the buck falls on you at the end of the day. So stretching yourself doesn't have to just be in big events, right? Yeah. It can be like, oh, shit, my tire's flat. I'm going to change it myself. You know, I'm not going to ask for help here. I'm not going to call someone to try and do it. I'm going to put my hand up and I'm just going to have a go. Like that's honestly what it is. It's like we can stretch ourselves so we can build confidence that we can do certain tasks. And even working like in emergency, I remember like I was um, in emergency for a couple of years and I was shitting bricks when I first started in emergency. Um, I was working in like one of the busiest emergencies in um, Victoria and yeah. I remember being there and it's just a circus. Like you guys watch it on the on the TV, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just a circus and it's it's funny because it's like there's so much support but at the end of the day, like if you, if you don't know how to do it, you've got to figure out how to do it or ask. Um, and at the end of the day, if you ask, they're probably going to be like, I'll watch. So like there was always a lot of high stake pressured environments that I'd been in from the start. And I just had to learn to fake it until you make it because you can't reflect your anxieties on other people. It makes the situation worse, not better. And it makes the stakes higher for you to perform in, right? So if you want to get the best job done, stretching yourself early when the stakes aren't as high is the safest way to actually do it. True. You don't want that first situation. You're about to deliver a baby and, you know, that's your first time of feeling that. It's good to practice prior. But even, you know, going on a first date with someone, we've Mm -hmm. all been there. You just, and me and Paul now, because obviously we've been dating for like two years nearly, like you, you, we love people watching just from a playful, playful way. And you can just tell who's on the first dates, you know, they're very rigid, knife and fork, like small bites and (laughs) conversation. Like it's very like, well, yeah, they're on a first date. They look so nervous. The poor people, like you can just tell or um, it's normal. It's normal. But a lot of people have stopped dating just because of those feelings that it brings up. And that's the easy way. But then it's like, you have to be vulnerable if you want something in your life. You know, mm-hmm. it is going to feel like shit. It's yep. going to feel yuck no matter what scenario it is. But then you have to weigh up, do I want a life without doing this? Well, if the answer is yes, then don't do the thing. But then more often than not, we know what we're missing out on and you mm-hmm. have to get through those initial sticky hurdles to then be on the other side and go oh my god I'm glad I did that like the first time that I met Paul I was so nervous I was pacing around the house and like you check the mirror 20 million times (laughs) oh my god and it's like I haven't felt this nervous in ages then fast forward and then all that disappears right like yeah we've all been there yeah, I can't even remember. Luke and I have been together for like so eight young. years. So I can't even remember. I was probably drunk. So I probably remember. <laughs> that <all>. helps. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely helps. Um, but yeah, meeting new people is probably a really uh, low entry one. I would say that, you know, that it's important to challenge ourselves with. And I think um, even for people in business, like sales calls, marketing calls, meeting new people, um, I do them all via Zoom. And, you know, a lot of the times, if the more that you're out of doing that, the harder it is to get back into it. And often I'll be met yeah. with like, oh, I'm really nervous. And I'm like, 
all right, me too. Like, that's okay. We're allowed mm. to be nervous. Like, is it nerves? Is it excitement? Like I said, you can just put a different label on it um, and experience it in a different way as well. But really good share. There's obviously lots of um, experiences and examples that we've both done and definitely what you guys have done. Like, I'm sure you're thinking in your brain at the moment, all the things where you've stretched yourself outside of your comfort zone. And that's really where performance anxiety can show up the most. But the most important thing is not experiencing it. It's sort of like what you're actually going to do with it or the effects that it has on your body or your actions or your behaviors. Um, so we might move into like some of the the practical examples that we go through, Danny, to try and manage these feelings as they come up. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we've definitely touched on a lot of them. It's kind of hard giving the example without what we did to manage it. But for me, regulating the nervous system, as I've mentioned now, this is the third time I'm going to say it again, because it, it's just helped me immensely. If I've got whether it be, you know, a special meeting with someone or a presentation or I'm going somewhere, if that week is chock-a-block with appointments mm. and I'm in fight or flight, I know that I'm going to have less harness on my mindset and my anxiety when that event's there. I love minimising, being present, getting prepared for that one event, as prepared as I can be with the knowing that there needs to be flexibility within the event. But for example, when presenting, we write notes, right? And that's a little way to prepare for something. But leading up to it, yeah, my top one tip would be minimize what you do before the event and then allow your mind to focus on how do I feel about it? Do I feel prepared? And and just channel your energy into that one thing, not a million other things. And then that just falls to the wayside. Mm. That's my number one tip. Yeah, that's a good one. I think organization is such an important part, um, but it's about finding the balance between being organized and not over-prepared because yes. something I've definitely done in the past is like, I can't script, for example, like I can't, even when I do content, like I can't script, um, speak something. I, I have to authentically go with it and back my my knowledge and let it come out in a way that aligns. In saying that, I know people that script every single word that they do for a YouTube or for a, a talk or whatever. I know people that script it and they've just rehearsed it. Like TED Talks, they're probably scripted, to be honest. They're just going off. They've just rehearsed it so many times. There's no room for error. Or so even on TV, right? That's yeah, for sure. Yeah. They're scripting. You can tell when they read the news right mm-hmm. um and that's that's sort of the thing though so there is a there is a fine line it's going to depend on the situation that you're actually doing but i've found personally for myself that i work better unscripted um and that's having a few dot points or even like honestly if i do a presentation i might have like a couple of words um a couple of dot pointed words and that's just the way that i work better because i've been stuck in situations where i just feel like i'm scripting too much it's okay. not coming across authentic and therefore there's not much room for flexibility and i'm too uh structured so everyone's going to work different and i think you only know by trial and error too yes. unfortunately you have to sort of practice both and it's it might change as well it might sort of alter depending on what you're actually doing um But prior to that one, I think something that's really important is just like breathing. And I think sometimes we forget a lot about this, but your breath and how you breathe. Everyone take a big breath now because every time we do it. Um, every time you breathe or like using your breath is like the gateway to your autonomic nervous system. It's the one pathway that we can use to genuinely change the state that we're in automatically. And this is why breath works so big in, um, you know, like Navy SEALs and like a lot of high 
uh, stressful situations. They they channel people to use their breath as a tool to change their nervous system or the state that they're actually in. And we can do it too, right? Mm-hmm. Like I used to do it a lot before competing. Like I said, I'd just listen to Eminem, take some deep breaths, like go into a <laughs> room, try and slow down my thoughts so I can think more clearly. Uh, and we can do this in a number of different ways um, before different situations. But like what you said, Danny, for me as well, actually, sensory deprivation, just going into a quiet room, quiet space, dark, usually helpful, no stimulation just beforehand. So even before I do public speaking or like a a live call or anything like that, I'll try and not have coffee. Um, I won't have any stimulants that will usually pep me up Mm. because I just like it all, it all enhances your nervous system. So you've got to think about not just the activation that you're putting on yourself like just prior, but the hours leading up, you know, the sleep that you've had. So preparation for big events doesn't just come when you're about to go into it. It comes from the hours, the days, the week leading up to whatever you're about to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's really good, actually. You don't want to OD on the caffeine because you get that natural stimulant from adrenaline, right? That's a good tip. Um, And then sort of, yeah, just before you head into the situation, again, recognize those thoughts. Am I anxious? Am I excited? Is it a little bit of both? Either way is okay. I just know that this is important to me. That's what you sort of have to say. These feelings are coming up because it's important to me. And recognize the times in the past where you wish you could have been in a situation like this or this was one of your goals and now you're actually living out those goals. So just own those feelings. Keep yourself present but recognize, hey, I'm a little bit excited. I'm a little bit nervous. It's okay because this thing right now is important to me and that is Mm. awesome, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then a big piece as well. So we've got like regulate, obviously, which is what you're saying there, like regulate your state, regulate the way that you're feeling um, and really just tune into like, this is normal. Like this is emotions are completely normal. And it's that name it to tame it sort of mentality. But then I think as well, something that's really important off the back, once you've done that, like name it to tame, it's only helpful. You know, it's still there. It's still like, okay, it's great. Like, thanks for just pointing that out. Now what? (laughs) Um, Then it's sort of about those little strategies that we were talking about is like how can you make that feeling inside you either do something um like for me sometimes if I'm nervous I might use my standing desk and this is just an example for like online stuff but like if I'm about to do like a bigger presentation and you know I just really want my focus to be on this one thing this one screen I'll use my standing desk it just helps me sort of mobilize a little bit more use my hands um I can move around and and that just really helps me um rather than just having to sit down and try and contain this energy because it just comes out in my voice so knowing what the little strategies are for you and trying to control yourself like physically um, but then also mentally it's just going to be so helpful that's good and zoom's a lot easier because the whole time we record these podcasts I've got a hair tie in my hand or a bobby pin I'm fiddling with the cord of the microphone and my feet are doing like little dances right but you can't tell because as you mentioned we do get this energy that we need mobilizing Mm. that we can do on the bottom of the zoom screen and no one sees right but then in real life if you're meeting someone you know, you might be tempted to not make eye contact. You might say, um, a lot, or Mm -hmm. you might be fiddling or pacing around. Even sometimes I would catch myself. I'm like, oh my God, you've just taken 5 million steps, like stay on the spot. So it's important to recognize the little things that you do to mobilize energy. And sometimes, yeah, you want to try and hide it as much as 
it is such a natural thing to do. You do want to hide it because you don't want to look nervous, particularly like I've been in meetings with people and it's fine. Like they're allowed to be nervous, like business meetings and things, but I lose trust in them Mm. when I know that they are so nervous and again I know that it's fine but in my head naturally you go well oh my goodness do they even know what they're talking about Mm. um so it's it's really important just to practice like your little cues that that give off that you're nervous hold that eye contact or a strong handshake or you know fiddle where no one can see it under the zoom camera things like that really important because people will pick up on these traits um so you need to watch back what you do, recognize what you do. It's annoying to find out, you go, oh, shit, I do say um every second word, but you have to practice that stuff because we can all read through it, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when you even think about it, we love confident leaders. We love confident people that are sure in the way that they do things. If they show up and they're confident, they're assertive and and direct and they seem like, yeah, they know what they're doing. Like we're going to we're going to follow that person, right? And we're going to like aspire to to learn from that person or whatever it might be. No one wants to go into a dentist and go, um, you know, I, I think I could use this antiseptic. Oh, no. I might use this needle. Um, what do you think? Yeah. No one wants that. I'd be petrified. <laughs> I'd be like running out of the dentist, right? Um, but it's the same way in, in other subtle yeah. situations too. And this is what I meant by like faking it till you make it's not a bad thing because at the end of the day, a lot of us have the skills to be able to do the stuff. Obviously, if we're completely incompetent, it's probably not good. Mm. <laughs> we, we shouldn't be doing what we're trying to do. And ignorance can be bliss. But if you know yeah. that it's like the reason why I'm anxious is because I care so much about what I've done. And if that's your situation, you probably care so much about what you're about to do that you've done a lot of the work. It's just still that high achieving aspect being like not good enough, right? Yeah. And that's okay. It's when it's when it's that piece that it's like, cool, like, you're going to give your best and if your best isn't good enough, you're going to know what to do with that information to make sure that the best is sufficient, right, and it's going to complement this person or this outcome or whatever it might be. But yep. I think really being self-aware and understanding what's your triggers, um, how do you show up, what's the antidote in terms of like what do you do to relieve those feelings? Is it helpful? Is it not? What does it look like to others? Um, how does that show my confidence or lack of? Uh, and then how am I going to improve? Right. That's a really yeah. big piece is reflection is so important because we don't learn from our experiences. We, re- we learn from reflecting on our experiences. So mm. when we can actually see what we've been through and like what you said, Danny, you're like, you know, that performance wasn't good enough. You know, like I've got room to grow here, room for improvement, right? Is what I like to say it. Not the things you did wrong, room for improvement because we all have areas to grow from. We all do. Uh, and it's just about being able to see it. And sometimes the actual poison is not being able to see it because if yes. we get like a big head and all of a sudden we're, it's like, oh, I, I don't have any, I do this the best. It's sort of like, that's a lie. You just can't <laughs> see your imperfections and you should go to the people that you care about the most and ask them, how can I improve at this? What does that look like? And just always having that mastery mindset because that's how you're going to be better. And there was a quote that I had um, earlier that I was going to mention, like you have to outwork your own own self-doubt and that comes down to a lot of confidence is if we don't feel confident or competent in something have we done the work like really have we done it and if you can reflect on that question and go you know what I freaking have I have done the work like what I said you know you've done the work and you've done everything and then if it still doesn't go to plan you know that you've done everything it doesn't matter anyways and the confidence will still show so I think reflecting on those um, few pieces and and see what feels relevant for you could be a place to start when it comes to managing any high risk performance pieces. 
And that's really good because it's it's important to realize that you don't have to have all the answers all the time because on that opposite scale, people stop asking for feedback or they try and pretend that they know it all, you know, but then you can also read through that and go, wow, you're really insecure. Like, look how you're portraying yourself. And it's the biggest turnoff as yep. well. Like, I love when someone asks for help or says, oh, you know, I'm actually not sure of that answer, but I can find out rather than thinking that they know it all and becoming a bit arrogant. Mm. And we know that that's overcompensation for lack of confidence. But, yeah, the pendulum can swing the other way. You can have the um people who fiddle and don't make eye contact or you can have the really cocky, arrogant people who just make out they know it all and all of that. Let's try and practice to not be either of those. And I'm, I've been in both situations. It's totally fine. But there's a nice middle ground where you hold yourself well, you're calm, you've prepared to your best ability, but you might not have all the answers and you are okay with that. That is that beautiful middle ground of confidence but room for improvement, as you said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Having that white belt mentality is so important and it might be a little bit, um, I guess, biased or I don't even know what the word is, but I often don't see the ego piece come out a lot in females. I often see the other side of the pendulum of like being less reserved, not wanting to say, not wanting to ask, like being a little bit more quieter. And I was reading this article and it was sort of saying that um, generally a lot of men will go to fight or flight because of testosterone and hormones and changes and experiences of being a man, etc. They'll go to this fight or flight pathway. And there's this other pathway called tendon befriend. Um, and I was like, what is this? I've only just come across it. Uh, and it was basically that when we go through stressful situations or we feel anxious or overwhelmed, something's really big, there's a big task, we go to this tending in terms of nurturing, sort of like tending to it and befriending, like connecting to others, wanting community. Whereas a lot of um, males, and I even see this like in Luke, he might get angry and walk out and leave and go play cod. <laughs> Like, and then whereas I'm like, okay, like being a bit more, well, how can we mm. fix it? Like trying to connect, trying to get feedback from other people to be like, is this okay? And checking. And and then the more that I was reading about it, I was like, damn, that's true. Like I see it a lot with females, right? And it's why community aspects are just so important. It's why we really look for strong communities, even look at competing, right? The way that yep. men and women compete in, in contrast of, you know, what they do and like and need in the sport and what women like and do and need in the sport and the trends from it. So I think think you know obviously I don't know what to do with this information either but that's I think really cool knowing what works for you and like I said community and, and checking and feedback and self-improvement all those pieces are really important for my confidence because if honestly if I feel like I'm not going forward I feel like I'm going backwards like yeah. if I'm not growing in some way and like what you were saying Danny if we're stagnant uh, it doesn't feel good for us so it's important to know what our natural defaults are um, because we can't always push through. You can't always have mm. this aggressive sort of push through, push, push, push. We need to also like pull back, have a bit more of a softer approach to things, be like, you know, you're doing your best and that's okay and have that nurturing piece. And honestly, that's probably what was missing for me right at the start when I spoke about it. I was just really good at just doing the shit for a long period of time and not seeing my wins, reflecting on them so they can actually get stronger. Yeah, amazing. All right, one question. What is something you're doing now if anything, that is making you get all these feelings? Is there something in current events where this is showing up a little bit? What's going on in your world? Ooh, good <laughs> question. Um, 
I mean, like a lot of this year for me has honestly just been a lot about business um, and it's probably where the majority of my energy has been. So definitely in that, like we're restructuring a lot of different things. I'm constantly talking to new women coming into the community. So I'm always out of my comfort zone, jumping on calls with new people um, all the time, as well as like, you know, passing the, I don't even know what you call it, torch to other people to be able to do those things while I sit behind the screen. And that's harder, right? Like that's harder because when we're nervous, we can act on it um but when we're nervous for someone else what do we do you know we have to sit there and just let people fail forward so for me it's a lot of those other different challenges at the moment that um honestly are just as extreme as the other things that i've been through as well it's just in a different context so i think for me recognizing um that those areas are they need to be done right and they're uncomfortable at the moment but the longer that you leave them the more trust you build with yourself and others uh, mm-hmm. and that's integral for growth as well not just your the relationship with yourself but the relationship and trust that you have with other people um, that's my one what's your Mm. one that's really good thank you um in a sense of you've you've sort of overcome how to use these tools on yourself but now you're trying to help your staff and team members and you know clients overcome it you are right because as much as like like a mum, you want to jump in and i'll just do it very different right so that's a really cool gift or that you are giving to people in terms of giving them the space to figure it out with your guidance, but on their own a little bit as well, which is super important. Um, mm. So that's great. I think for me, aside from the presenting, is just really getting myself on camera more. So the goal is to create online courses, which I know you've done a lot of, but it's something we've kind of swapped in a sense. Um, so I'm looking to get more online courses and and everything, which I think for me is a little bit harder in a sense of when you're being filmed, mm-hmm. I find that actually harder than um, speaking in public now because mm-hmm. if you kind of stuff up your words or whatever, it is what it is. I make a joke, make people laugh. That humour part comes up. You can't do that when you're writing a course. So <laughs> it's a little, hey, what about that thing? No, like they're here to yeah. learn. It's a little bit more scripted. Um, mm. But then also just a lot more business meetings, you know, developing the app which you're doing as well we'd know that there's a lot of conversations with people external to our world so just overcoming that thing of just showing up being me being confident in the product asking for help Um, it's been really interesting just to have new conversations with different people Um, and even just yeah getting out there and being more social again which you know they're very compare and contrasting but that's sort of that's conflicting as well and bringing up bringing up those feelings. So we've got the heavy business side, but then I still get a bit jittery if I'm about to go to a big party or meet some of Paul's people that I haven't still met, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's interesting. But the cool thing about all of those different scenarios, right, we still use the same strategies, which it's like almost a secret weapon just to acknowledge that they're going to come up, but then this is how I deal with it. So yeah. yeah, it's really cool to practice. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's so, so relevant, so, so important. And I completely resonate a lot with you. Um, it's so different, right? Like, and all those things that you've mentioned, they're just different skill sets. Like every yeah. platform's a different persona, requires a different toolkit. Um, and I still remember, like, this is probably a couple of years ago when I filmed my first YouTube with Eugene. Um, and I was so nervous and I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, I feel so nervous. And I remember him being like to me, you'll just get better like at camera you'll just get better you probably don't realize it at the moment but you'll just 
just get better with it. And I think being surrounded by people that have been doing things for a lot longer than you and they've gone through it, like that's actually really helpful for me to be like, oh, okay, like it's nothing you're doing wrong. And this comes back to that tend to be friend piece, right? Yeah. It's nothing you're doing wrong. Um, It's just repetition. And I think knowing that like every time you'll just get better and better and better and eventually you'll catch up and then it'll become mainstream and then there'll be something else. Yeah. You know, it changes the context as well. And I also get this piece between free and paid. So like for me, I know that when something's free, it's easier for me to create versus when it's mm. paid, I'm like, well, there's higher stakes, higher value. There's a yeah. perceived effort here. So it has to be different. It's a different type of me. Um, and knowing those pieces like trial and error, the same way as you at a workshop, it's a different Danny to here now because free is very, very different. Um, so it's very interesting. I love that. Cool. Well, we lean into the discomfort, right? It's what we do. Yep. That's it. We grow <sighs> through what we go through, as they say. <laughs> Very cool. Let's wrap it up, hey? We'll wrap it up. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We hope that this was helpful uh, along the way because, yeah, as we said, we just wanted to share some light that no matter where you are, what you're doing, like where you're working, uh, we all experience anxiety and performance anxiety in particular just in different ways, whether it's social events or, like I said, in, a, in your professional setting as well. It's not about experiencing because it it's normal. It's just about what we actually do with it along the way. And I think everyone should pause to think about what their toolkit is for being able to manage it because what works for me is a little bit different for Danny and vice versa. We have our own little internal strategies, um, but it only came from trial and error and failing forward and reflecting on those pieces too. So make sure that you spend the time doing that for yourself. Um, and yeah, we hope you enjoyed the episode. And as always, if you did enjoy it, uh, make sure that you take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram. Thanks everyone.